Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. This is Charge Up Dunedin. Hello, good evening and welcome to Charge Up Dunedin, the first in a series of podcasts being broadcast here on Otago Access Radio and streamed online on our website oar.org.nz. This podcast is brought to you by the Dunedin EV Owners Group and Otago Electric Vehicle Society. The Look Into EVs in Schools program will roll out in Dunedin during the International Drive Electric Week in September. This project is supported by the Dunedin City Council as part of Te Ao Tūroa Environment Strategy. Hello, I am Sam Hales, currently a Masters in Science Communication student at Otago University. I have a passion for everything automotive related, and surprisingly that includes electric vehicles. Yes, despite currently owning a straight-six petrol-powered BMW, which I managed to convert from an automatic to a manual transmission thanks to the power of YouTube, I too can see that the future is in high-amp, high-torque world of the electric motor. I want to help you to understand more about the ever-changing world of electric vehicles. You may not know that Dunedin has the highest number of EVs registered per capita in New Zealand, so what better place to start the high-voltage revolution towards sustainable, emission-free motoring? Now, there seems to be a lot of misinformation out there regarding electric vehicles. I tend to follow a lot of car-based pages on Facebook, and it seems as if every time a post promoting electric vehicles comes along, so follows a string of completely untrue and narrow-minded comments along with it. This could be due to the nature of the petrol heads who follow these pages, however I think that most of it is simply down to people making assumptions rather than educating themselves about EVs. So for the next half hour or so, I'll be doing a bit of electric vehicle myth-busting, so to speak. We'll look at the myths and assumptions people might make when they consider changing to an EV. We'll examine the drivability aspects, how they differ from your normal internal combustion car, and focus more on the scientific myths rather than the subjective ones. Finally, we'll have a listen to a podcast I made earlier this year, which busts the myth of electric vehicle batteries being more polluting to make compared to internal combustion engine emissions. So why would you want an electric vehicle? This brings us to our first myth. Are they just a short-term fad to be replaced by another miracle technology in five years' time? Well, you might not have a choice between EV or petrol in the future, as more countries put in plans to ban internal combustion-powered vehicles from central cities towards the 2030s and 2040s. Some examples of this are most of Scandinavia, with a ban on new fossil-fueled vehicles after 2030, with Norway jumping the gun a bit and convincing their ban in 2025. Ireland is set to do the same by 2030, with the UK commencing their ban on new internal combustion vehicles by 2040. Looking closer to home now, apart from the obvious cost savings by not having to buy petrol regularly, an electric car is of course a very powerful and effective way at reducing your CO2 emissions. Most of New Zealand's emissions come from vehicle usage, So the more people we have in electric cars, the better we can be at reducing our impact on climate change. So, 
you've decided to take the plunge into the world of electrons and find an electric car to park in your driveway. This brings us to our second myth. They're too expensive. Now, okay, even I'll admit that EVs aren't yet at the cheap banger price point just yet. It'll be a few more years until you can pick up a Nissan Leaf for the price of an iPhone. However, they certainly aren't unattainable. A quick browse of our favourite auction site shows a small number of Nissan Leafs available for under 9 grand. Prices vary according to the mileage, the power output of the motor, and most importantly, the state of health of the battery. Without going into too much detail at this point, this simply indicates how much power the battery can hold after a full charge, with 12 bars in the display indicating full health, and 10 bars indicating about 75% health. On average, a decent condition, full state of health Nissan Leaf sells for around fourteen dollars to $17,000, which you would surely agree is very reasonable. So really, the idea that all EVs are too expensive to buy or out of reach is nonsense given how many are available at prices at or below the prices people pay for a decent second-hand petrol car, which will cost far more in the long run anyway. So, you've gone and done it. Let's assume there's a shiny Nissan Leaf sitting in your driveway just waiting for a silent zero-emission hoon around town. What can you expect from the performance? Our third myth is a very common belief held by many, in that EVs are slow. I imagine this originates from someone who thought that electric cars were powered by the same asthmatic motors in golf carts or milk floats. Now admittedly, the Leaf isn't going to set your trousers on fire in the speed world, but it certainly isn't a slouch either. Even in the first generation model, its motor produces a very healthy 280 newton meters of torque, which is the same amount as a Volkswagen Golf GTI from a few years ago. Now, my parents happen to own a GTI, which I've driven a fair bit, and I can vouch for it being plenty fast enough to get you up to 100 k's per hour on the open road, when the mood takes you. But what if I need to tow my boat, I hear you say. Apparently this comes up a lot, and... Given our culture of the great outdoors and the fact that the best-selling vehicles in this country are utes, it comes as no surprise that there are a lot of you out there who shun EVs due to your need to tow a boat or a trailer once or twice a year. Now, there are currently no electric utes on offer at the moment, however, rest assured that Tesla is currently developing their own version of one. The pickup truck slash ute market is insanely lucrative, given their popularity around the world so car companies would be foolish to not develop ute EVs in the relentless pursuit to stay competitive. And the idea that EVs can't tow? Well, as I mentioned earlier, the instant talk would say otherwise. Let's not forget that freight trains utilise electric motors for tractive power. The diesel motors are merely used to generate electricity. If you need any more proof that EVs certainly can tow, Simply pop onto YouTube and search for the Motor Trend video where, a, where an electric Tesla Model X SUV managed to beat an Alfa Romeo sports car in a drag race whilst also towing another Alfa sports car. This should be all the proof you need. Obviously the biggest concern for any EV owner is battery life, more commonly known as range anxiety. Now this is something worth worrying about as you can't simply siphon electricity from another EV into yours on the side of the road. But it does bring us to our next myth, that EVs are only for short trips. Given that on average, taking into account real-world conditions, most EVs will do well over 100 kilometres on a single charge, with Teslas pushing the 300 to 400 kilometres of range on a charge, this idea is bunk as well. 
Also, let's not forget that Kiwis don't really drive vast distances to commute. According to the 2011 to 2014 NZ Household Travel Survey, the average distance travelled for people who commuted by car was only 11.5 kilometres from home to work. Even a Nissan Leaf with an 80% state of health would provide more than enough charge for a round trip, including any extra trips after or before work. Now let's look at how you refuel an EV. This is the part that understandably puts people off the most and brings us to our penultimate myth that they take forever to charge. This is a bit of a yes and no statement really. Yes, batteries do take hours to charge on low voltage home power outlets. Anyone who has had to wait 16 hours for their AA TV remote batteries to charge up will testify to that. However, the lithium cobalt manganese batteries in a LEAF, for example, will quite comfortably go from 0 to 80% charge in half an hour or so at any fast charger. Even charging on a home wall socket isn't too punishing. If using a 240 volt home socket, the LEAF will charge from 0 to 100% in 8 hours. The trick is to charge overnight when you get home. Arrive home at 6pm, say, then leave at 8am the following morning. This gives plenty of time for the car to fully recharge from 0 to 100%. So in short, the notion that all electric vehicles take hours and hours to charge up isn't really true. And that brings us to our final myth, the idea that there simply isn't any infrastructure in New Zealand to support electric vehicles. Of course anyone can charge at home, but... What if you want to go to the mountains on a skiing trip or drive up the country? You aren't always near a power socket. Having a charging point you can rush to when your car is at 1%, much like with your smartphone, is a crucial part of the EV ownership experience. For those who think charges are few and far between in this country, I would like to point you to the ChargeNet array of charging stations. A visit to their website will show a map of New Zealand completely covered in little green dots, indicating a fast charging station. These stations are paid chargers and can charge an SNL from 0 to 80% charge in as little as 20 minutes. This normally costs $5 to $10 depending on how much you charge up by, but this is obviously a pittance in comparison to the $80 to $100 it takes to fill a petrol car. There are also free charging points often installed in malls or supermarket car parks, but these are slow chargers designed to top up your battery rather than provide a full fill-up. To find a charger near you, all it takes is a quick browse of the EnergyWise website and its EV charging section and you'll soon find out there's more than enough infrastructure to support EV charging in New Zealand. So there you have it, some of the more pressing and relevant EV myths busted. Now we're going to have a listen to a podcast I made earlier this year which showcases an extended look at the effects of lithium and cobalt mining and electric vehicle uptake. Will the environmental effects of increased mining for EV materials really outweigh the environmental effects of continued internal combustion engine vehicle use? Let's find out. Society has undergone a technological revolution in the past five to ten years. Phones became smart, computers have become cheaper and vastly more powerful, and electric cars have finally become a regular sight on our roads. The development of such vehicles has been uh, driven mainly by the relentless quest to cut down on CO2 emissions in the wake of climate change. Ah yes, the satisfying sound of a petrol engine startup. At least to us car enthusiasts, the sounds of traffic littered with noisy internal combustion engines tend to be shattering the peace for most people. Inevitably though, 
this will be replaced with something much more futuristic. The sound of an EV is very futuristic and reminds me more of the startup tone on a mobile device as opposed to a machine. However, it's important to consider that with the number of electric cars expected to increase rapidly in the near future, what will the increased demand for precious earth resources do to the environment? Will the negative effects of mining and extracting these resources negate any positive benefits that switching to electric vehicles has? Today I will examine the controversy of lithium and rare earth metal extraction, its relationship to the increased use of electric cars, and whether we should be worried about what effect this has on the environment. I think it's important to start this discussion with a look at the current fleet of electric vehicles as they stand, and where they're headed in the future. The Ministry of Transport figures for 2014-18 to 18 show that EV vehicle fleet has increased rapidly since the start of 2017, with an increase of new electric vehicle registrations of 55% between 2014 and 2015, to a whopping 141% increase between 2015 and 2016, showing a huge jump in the public interest using electric vehicles as a way of getting around. I can't blame people for getting on board the EV craze. Having owned and worked on a near 20-year-old internal combustion-powered BMW for the past two years, I'm frankly amazed at the sheer complexity of the internal combustion engine, with hundreds and hundreds of finely lubricated components working in incredible harmony. That being said, these machines are more similar to needy relatives than tools to get you places, with even the most basic car engine requiring a service every 10,000 kilometres and constant checks to ensure roadworthiness and optimum running condition. Despite being a proud petrol head myself, I can't blame people for ridding themselves of this ageing technology. An EV is powered by either a synchronous or induction electric motor, which by all accounts has just one moving part. Maybe these early adopters are onto something. I recently managed to score an outing in the world's best-selling EV, the Nissan Leaf, which currently has surpassed 400,000 worldwide sales. The experience was quite eye-opening, and really made me see why the EV has had such a sudden increase in popularity in New Zealand, especially with a glut of good-condition, low-mileage used imports from Japan, which make up the majority of registrations. The drive was incredibly smooth. and it made me realise just how many darn vibrations worm their way into the cabin with an internal combustion engine car. I took my internal combustion powered car out for a drive to compare. Its engine noises and gear shift was suddenly quite intrusive after the whisper quiet Nissan. The other issues with internal combustion engines is the power band. So we're driving along in this internal combustion powered car, but if I put my foot down hard, Virtually nothing happens in terms of the response of the engine. It's very, it's quite a slow response. You really don't get any response until you're doing about 3,000 RPM. It's kind of like having all your stuff in the kitchen on the very top cabinet. It means you can never really get to it all the time. It's quite irritating. It's very different to an electric motor. 
which produces all its power instantly at zero RPM. Without the need for gears and with all the power arriving in an instant, never-ending wave, the Leaf felt much stronger than its 80 kilowatt motor made out. The more people who drive them and experience them makes them likely to face an exponential growth, the start of which we are seeing now. And that has me worried. The ever-increasing demand for electric vehicles results in an ever-increasing demand for the exotic and expensive elements that nestle beneath their futuristic bodies. Most internal combustion engines use simple steel engine blocks and aluminium cylinder heads. There's often a fair amount of plastic, but nothing particularly noteworthy mineral-wise. An electric vehicle, on the other hand, is a rather more exotic bag of bolts. The current crop of EV batteries utilise either nickel, cobalt, aluminium, lithium compound cathodes, such as in various Tesla EVs, or lithium manganese oxide cathodes, such as in the trusty Nissan LEAF. The process for recovering lithium generally involves utilising large salt flats acting as solar evaporation ponds to recover useful lithium carbonate, as pure metallic lithium is incredibly reactive with air and requires storage under oil. However, since lithium mining has entered the public sphere of discussion due to the increased prevalence of electric cars, people now realise we may have a shortage on our hands. This could well be the case in the future. A 2011 paper for the Journal for Society of Conservation Biology outlined a situation whereby economic lithium reserves would become totally depleted by 2025, given a production run of 60 million EVs per year over the time period from 2011 to 2025. If you take into account the sales of the big-hitting EVs, i.e. all Tesla vehicles since 2012 and all Nissan Leaf sales since 2011, the cumulative number of EVs worldwide is sitting at around 932,000. This would suggest that we should have enough to satisfy demand, at least for the time being. However, what about other minerals and metals that make up the batteries and motors and EVs? Will we have enough cobalt and nickel? especially as these make up the vast majority of an EV's powertrain by weight. I spoke to geologist Dr Mike Palin of Otago University, who has experience in mineral deposits and mining. Whatever metal or commodity you're extracting, you're taking a natural accumulation and you're uh, digging up and processing it in, in some way. So there's always going to be a footprint there. Now, in the case of lithium, that footprint is relatively small, and that's why those, those deposits are being mined, even though in some cases they are quite remote, um, because, again, your costs are less. Um, but, okay, so if you're talking about metals, it depends on what kind of deposits there are, such as for some of the rare elements like cobalt. You don't need as much of it, uh, but it, it doesn't make big deposits. I mean, it's, it's relatively a, a, a rarer element. And so you have to mine large quantities of rock because it's, it's in low concentrations in that rock. Where you have, you know, kind of point sources, that's a big problem. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have political problems there. Um, you have environmental problems. There's a fair bit of uncontrolled mining that takes place. If you're talking about um, industries or individual companies that view themselves as being uh, fair or green or whatever, 
it's not good for them to have products where they're you know sourcing metals from uh, uncontrolled environmentally damaging and and human damaging uh, operations you're always driving innovation to get new technologies where you don't have to uh, be beholden to China for your rare earths or you don't have to get your cobalt from the Congo. All of these operations, mining operations, they are very, the, the best ones, they have very small margins. It is very important for them to have every potential cost well constrained. And, and that's really where the environmental side of things comes into it. The companies are good mining companies have have an environmental ethos because it makes sense economically for them. This would suggest that, in fact, there's really not a lot to worry about regarding the environmental impacts of mining for EV materials. Firstly, given the fact that the innovation in battery and motor technology is increasing at an incredible rate, and the fact that battery manufacturers are squeezing more power storage out of smaller batteries, we can safely predict that despite EV uptake also increasing exponentially, the mining technology and increase in power-dense smaller batteries will balance out. But what about when internal combustion engines themselves become outlawed? So, final thoughts. The, the EU is looking to actually ban all internal combustion vehicles by 2040, I think it is, which isn't actually that far away if you think about it. No. So <laughs> assuming we're forced to drive electric cars, and that includes hybrids yeah. as well, they're yeah. totally banned as well, um, do you foresee a sort of a sudden shortage of, of rare minerals and, and copper for the motors and, and things like that because of this legislation? If you hear people talking about, oh, we don't have enough, yes, they're right. But you have to look down, down, you know, into the future and say, okay, that will raise the price, that will drive alternatives to be found of other metals and exploration for that metal. It will eventually be met in some way. Um, so I'm confident that the technologies will evolve and the resources are there. We're not going to just come to a point one day where, oh, we don't have any more. Oh, what are we going to do? There'll be a ramp up to that. Secondly, the environmental damage from current internal combustion engines is something that has already garnered huge attention due to it being a contributing factor in climate change. The fact that our current crop of well over a billion cars on the road, all of which run on a fuel that causes environmental damage when we harvest it, and that causes damage due to the CO2 emissions when we use them, is a much greater problem than increased mining. I mean, if you look at all the pluses and minuses of, of things, it, you have to say, yes, when you extract the metals out of the ground, it, you, don't, it, you change that place. You have to weigh that kind of small footprint destruction with what we're doing to the atmosphere. And, you know, the thing is, you can dig a hole in the ground and fill it up. And if you're responsible, you know, but even if you're not responsible, it's a relatively restricted area of disturbance. 
Finally, an internal combustion engine is only capable of converting around 20-30% to of the energy in petrol into actual motive power, with the rest ultimately converted into waste heat. In comparison, an electric motor itself is generally around 80-90% to efficient, with EVs sending a decent 50-60% to of the power stored in the battery into motive power at the wheels. Given that, in New Zealand at least, the majority of this energy is from clean, renewable sources, anyone here driving an electric vehicle is technically carbon zero from a purely motive point of view. Given that most of the carbon emissions from mining of minerals and resources are spread over a large number of EVs that are themselves far more efficient than their internal combustion counterparts, the net emissions are much lower. This is something that has to be done to help climate change. But you just can't continue to take hundreds of millions of years worth of naturally sequestered carbon and combust it and fill your atmosphere with it over a couple hundred years. It just is insane. And that footprint is global. For the vast majority of road users who want to get place to place and who have no interest in the inner workings of the cars, an EV makes so much more sense. The more people who try them out and see just how comparable in terms of performance to an internal combustion engine they are, and how cheap and clean they are to run, the higher the uptake rate will be. And this can only be good for the environment in the long run. Just spare a thought for the finely engineered piece of aluminium and steel whirling away in front of you for now. It will sadly be playing its final 7000 RPM curtain call in the not too distant future. And that concludes our first electric vehicle podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and learned a few things and found out something you didn't know. I'll be broadcasting our second podcast in August sometime, where I'll be discussing electric vehicle efficiency compared to our current internal combustion engine fleet, and I'll be discussing the cradle-to-the-grave emissions concept that looks at the entire emissions from a vehicle from its manufacture to its eventual demise. Finally, I'll be interviewing Dutch motoring enthusiast Weber Wacker, who holds the world record for the longest drive ever in an electric car at 95,000 kilometres across the world. Anyway, that's it for the moment. Thank you for tuning in, and goodbye. Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.